Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cast of Call, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me back from the other, literally from the other side of the planet, the one and only DJ. Yeah, it's a, that weird, s- stupid joke that I, I now understand Australians always being grumpy about. What is <laughs> the stupid joke? I don't know this like, one. They're uh, like, how's the future? He's mm. <laughs> like... With the time change, you end up being a day ahead of everyone else. So you knew about the Mike Flanagan stuff even before, like a day before I yeah, did. Yeah, That's amazing. I was, I, I was uh, <laughs> already ahead of you by an entire day just <laughs> knowing all this information. Uh, it, there it, must be so much pressure not to spoil everything for everyone all the time. <laughs> U.S. elections got it covered. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Let's um, not go there. <laughs> No, uh, it, it was great. I uh, had a wonderful time. Um, did all the things that you're supposed to do in Japan. Um, we'll probably go back, not to Tokyo, but to Osaka mm-hmm. was really great. Um, everything you ever see, like Blade Runner style, yeah. uh, Osaka definitely represents that more so than Tokyo. Got so, it. Uh, yeah, it, real cool. Um, <laughs> side note, no more fish in my food for a couple weeks. Yeah, I will say, like, there were definitely some things that you spoke, like a food that you sent pictures of that I was like, mm, that looks advanced. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you? I don't know if you saw that that little short video of the, like, egg on the middle of a pizza. Yeah, it was like jiggle, jiggle, jiggle. jiggle. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I was more this? weirded out by the, the tarantulas. I was like, no. Oh, yeah, did yeah. Did you eat uh, it? they like you could literally just go to a shelf and it was like dung beetles tarantulas scorpions and various other um bug insects that <laughs> did you, you eat the, back the tarantula though did no, you eat it? Oh, no no okay. I, I don't need that in my life um okay. I, I love seeing it but i'm not a, <laughs> i'm not necessarily like hey you don't want to see it past your lips got it <laughs> well i think more like Okay, so if it was a chef adjacent and someone who like right. prepared tarantulas all the time, cooked right. me up something and like Ugh. handed it to me, Ugh. but uh, you know a a bag that's labeled like lightly seasoned with sea salt, like that doesn't <gasps> inspire much confidence. <gasps> Right? Yeah, I mean, there. I would. Oh, mm, ah, there are so many things I'd eat before a tarantula. I, I don't. I think I would starve. I think if I was on a desert island and it was like eat the tarantulas or death, I'd be like, goodbye, cruel world. At least I didn't need a spider. <laughs> I mean, I think it isn't the average person swallow like what, eight spiders? That, a year I, like I refuse to believe that that's true because I need, I, I refuse. <laughs> I already sleep with something wrapped around my head so spiders can't get in my ears. Now I'm going to have to st- like put a mesh over my mouth. Oh, Ugh. have you ever heard of earwigs? Don't. <laughs> No, <laughs> don't. don't look them up. Okay. They'll just send you down a nightmare-ish, uh, uh, you know, 14th century uh, uh, torture method. So plan for this episode. We're going to kick off the show with our in-depth conversation of Wolves of the Kala Part 2 Telling Tales Chapter 7 Nocturne Hunger. Um, and we don't have a question for this episode, um, but we will have one for the next episode. So we'll close out with asking our question for you guys all to respond on the next episode. All right, so let's get into this. But before we do that, DJ, please remind our listeners what our spoiler policy is on the cast Well, when we start cooking up those rat shish kebabs, we will let you know (laughs) 
<laughs> when they are ready to be served in the spoiler zone. <laughs> Very nice. I never know. I never know what it's going to be. You it was never almost disappoint. the uh, vinegar wine thing. Oh, like, <laughs> when the wine goes box. sour and the taste of vinegar burns <laughs> your nose, you will know you are in the spoiler zone. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So where did we last leave off with our Cotet, Deej? Uh, so if you don't remember, Roland and Eddie were hanging out with Grandpa. And we got the entire backstory of the fight with the wolves. We got Grandpa surviving the wolves. And then the faux reveal of the fact that there are probably spies among us. Uh, mm. We also found out that um, Grandpa was concerned of his own uh, mortality from spilling the beans on this particular information to Roland, but Stephen King neglected to reveal who said suspects might be, ba, although ba, ba, he ba. did tantalizingly point out that it was obvious if you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, is like almost a slap in the face of the audience because you're like, well, is it obvious? Is it? Well, no. I mean, we we get a maybe an answer in this episode or in oh. this chapter, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Fair enough. So uh, continuing on through chapter seven, we basically get a hard cut. We transition from um, the guys hanging out with Grandpa straight to Mia. Mm. And she is laid down and gone to sleep. And what we kind of find is a little bit of backstory, and I'm going to jump around just a small amount here so we can uh, work this in, is that her and Eddie have uh, basically taken up residence in this barn. Um, They had to tell a little white lie about their fear of housing which is sort of weird uh to the couple that runs the art that they were staying with in order to get barn staying access and you sort of get the uh, feeling that um eddie did this as a precautionary thing and Susanna just went along with it but you don't know if like mia was running in the background so we cut to them sleeping in the barn and mia wakes up into her dream state and she's basically, you know, uh, in her special place. And we get the same sort of impression we did before where um, when Susanna was uh, swimming through the swamps yeah. and and eating, you know, r- random creatures from the lake. She's ravenous. Her uh, chap is just hungry as all get out. And she's walking through this dream castle and we kind of get the impression that um, someone else is in the dream with her. Uh, but her 100% focus is on finding that special food that will satisfy this guy inside of her. And we get this description of her like walking through the castle. And the first thing I wanted to point out, as she's headed towards like the doors, the big doors to the banquet hall, um, there's a statue that's like hanging out on the side. And Rachel, I think you grabbed a passage for this. Yeah, I did. And I was trying to, as you were talking, I was going back to see if I could find it previously mentioned. Um, and I couldn't quite. There's certainly some some allusions to marble and things like that, but I don't, I think this is the first time we get this described. It says, Mia crossed into the foyer with its red and black marble squares and a statue of smoothly entwined marble and steel. She didn't stop to curtsy or even nod her head. That she should be so hungry was bearable, but not her chap. Never her chap. So the reason I I wanted to focus it on that statue really quick is because the intertwined immediately, for some reason, to me at least, it it came to mind that that might be like 
an infinity symbol mm. or, you know, um, one of the like rebirth type of symbols with the mm. intertwined metal. And, and so it sort of, it almost like resonated as, um, have you ever seen any of the, uh, the female birth statues from all the different cultures and they wait all wait a minute of... wait a minute i found it you found i it? found it okay um so this is in the chapter of mia um back the first time when she goes and eats all the frogs in the swamp it says oh, okay okay the wood paneled walls were hung with faded portraits of old lords and ladies in the center was a statue made of entwined rose gold marble and chrome steel it seemed to be a knight errant that might have been uh, a six gun or a short sword raised above its head. Although the face was mostly smooth, the sculptor had done with him no more than hint at features. Mia knew who this was all right, that, right enough. Who else could it be? I salute thee, Arthur Eld, she said, and dropped into her deepest curtsy. Please bless the things that I'm about to take to my use and to the use of my chap. Good evening to you. Oh, damn. Okay. So that's even cooler of a reference than I was originally thinking. Mm -hmm. Rachel, good job on the sleuthing back <laughs> through the chapters. Something in like the back of my head was like, this is important. Yes. <laughs> this is important. But like I couldn't, yes. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. So that's awesome. Okay. So that actually explains some of the um, – when she's looking around at the paintings and so on and she sees – uh, Arthur um, and his quest. He has like uh, I think what a snake wrapped around his neck. Yes, and I have thoughts on the snake when we get. Okay, there. <laughs> yeah, and that one like also important. Uh, but then like as she so she sees the statue, she sees the paintings, and she's like, "Fucking men in their quests. Ah, uh, I've got a chap to feed. This is more important." And it kind of like that little internal dialogue with her kind of reminded me of um, if you've ever talked to someone who's like about to have a kid. Um, mm. they're, they're eating weird. They're like emotional states in a different spot. And like, they'll swear to anybody who will listen that their pregnancy is the hardest, worst one <laughs> that anybody has ever gone through in the history of the world. I mean, it what's, <laughs> and like, I'm not, this is not me discounting <laughs> no, whatever no, no. I know. the process is, but it's, it's kind of like when someone tells you that their kid is the smartest kid they've ever met and you're like, well, statistically speaking, you know, <laughs> your kid would likely fall into the middle category, maybe a little bit above, but I doubt you're in the 1%, 2% smartest kid <laughs> zone. You just, uh, you feel that way. And that's fine that you feel that way, but like, doesn't yeah. make it so. <laughs> Feelings are not facts. <laughs> anyway, so, um. So, so we get a description of, of what she's wearing. And this is interesting, too, because um, she's wearing jeans and boots and a T-shirt. And that means in Mia Dream, she is fully legged up and, and ready to go, which, you know, that makes sense. But the jeans and the T-shirt are reminiscent of New York and not of the gunslinger area that she's in. So that dress is sort of interesting and then mm -hmm. there's one more uh very important reference here that will become stronger in the future what, what's on her t-shirt it is a it appears to be some kind of roasted pig and a, a state a, it she looks at it later and it says that it's the dixie pig and gives the address of the dixie pig the best ribs in manhattan which made me go like mm. Ooh, <laughs> yep. right, right. <laughs> yeah no spoilers there we won't go any further into that but um no. definitely uh you know keep that one in the back of your head if this is the first time through um if it's not then you will already 
be completely aware of, yeah. of, of the subtext there. Um, so we also kind of get a description of the area around. And in the past, when she's gone into these, you know, dream states and, and gone to the swamp, it was almost like a perfect smorgasbord in her mind of like good food, yeah. all the things that she wanted and mm-hmm. riches and galore. And it, this time we get a much more sinister uh, description of the area that she's walking through. So yeah. the the table has like a glass of wine, but the, some of the bottles are empty. And when she finally finds something that sloshes around, it's rotted and vinegared and gone mm-hmm. gone south. She opens up cupboards and, and doesn't find what she's looking for. There's like a dead spider, <laughs> which hey, this uh, like is a good callback to that Japan food thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're on a theme tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I must uh, I must have planned that one. Um so it, it's just um it's not nearly as good as no. we've seen in the past. And what we kind of find out and this is skipping around a little bit too is that she's wandering around the barn and I almost, I mean, on, on top of it being like the the kid inside of her wants something very specific to calm mm-hmm. him down. Yeah. And we find out later what that's about. But um, also, because she's not around the swamp, it feels like maybe the evil part of the baby is less excited about being in an area that's civilized and tamed and oh, interesting. not uh, as wild mm. as the swampland. And uh, the juxtaposition there is that, like, what's the swamp? It's like a um, almost always like a evil bog type of thing mm-hmm, or like mm-hmm. a dark area, like something sinister. There's snakes in the water, crocodiles, like whatever else. And then we juxtaposition that with her in a barn with like kept domesticated animals, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a hayloft and and kids and family about, and that I thought was like a, and maybe I'm thinking too hard on this, but it, it felt like that was a, a a weird, interesting side effect of what she's seeing in her dream world as well. And mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, Rachel, what, what do you think about that? Is that I mean, I think, I think, yes. I also think there's like abundance of food sources in the swamp. Like you just reach in and there's slugs and spider or uh, frogs and newts and whatever the case may be versus this area where there is not access to the kinds of just like easy to eat foods. Um, But I, you're, you know, maybe there is also something that speaks to the nature of the chap, right? That he would a place where domesticated food sources feels like a food desert versus a wild. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, I do think that there's some there there. Yeah, for sure. I think that's that one's uh, super interesting. So uh, we follow Mia th- through this place and she's opening up um, the kitchen and she f- finds like a roast, but there's a rat that's already oh. gotten after the roast. And uh, apparently like it kind of looks at her and then, you know, decides that she's not dangerous and continues on eating. And she, you know, she reaches over and like stabs the rat and like kind of has like a laugh about it. And Jesus. like, and, and the statement is like, tries not to get any rat, you know, too much rat blood on her food. <laughs> and you're, you're just like, Whoa, okay. This is getting, not like it, no rat blood, less rat blood. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, like, the, th- the thing is, in the past, when we've heard descriptions of this, like, there was no animals eating. And so the the veil is sort of pulling away 
on what she's seeing in the real world versus what she's seen in her her dream world. And the rat shish kebab is just like Stephen. Well, so Stephen King takes a moment to describe the sound of the rat eating the roast before the rat is killed. And then at the end of this section, he takes pains to describe the sound of her eating and how it isn't much different than the sound of the rat. Mm-hmm. And that's like, yeah, that, that's like a predator prey dark moment there. That's yeah. like kind of tells you what's going on with Mia. It's so it's, animalistic. And yep, like, exactly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then the desperation and the moment she sees the, the roast, she looks at it for a second and it, you can tell like the mother portion of Mia sort of like recoils for a second mm-hmm. when she sees this, you know, roasted pig and thinks it's uh, an actual human baby for a second and yeah. then laughs and laughs when she finds out it's not, oh, you silly girl, you know, I'm mm-hmm. just eating this pig, no problem. <laughs> and like... The whole time, so I mentioned at the beginning that there's a guest in her dream. We 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 find out that Jake is like in the background of yeah. this dream. Then he's been kind of sucked in, and you know, ever since he went and saw the rose, he's kind of had a little more uh, shine, I guess. And this is mm. a, a really big instance of that impact where in the past he could sort of like feel ahead a little bit but now he's actually like dream walking i feel like he he's always kind of been a dream like he's really been good about the dream stuff because remember him and jake or him and eddie used to have those like exchange dreams oh yeah that's like he he is about that getting in he sees things through dreams like that's kind of where his touch i think is the strongest is sleeping yeah, so what do you th- think? Um, I we talked about the Dixie Pig. I didn't spend too much time on it, but yeah. um, I guess there's that was the last one thing is uh, when she like realizes the shirt says Dixie Pig and yeah. and the address is on there. She reads off the address and like Jake hears her read off the address and is like, "Yep, that is where it's at." Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting, right? Because it's the this is the second time we've heard about the Dixie Pig in this book. So the first mention was back when they initially went toe dash and uh, Jake's like showing them the lot and he sees the signs and he realizes that one of the signs has changed it, changed, changed it. I don't, what am I talking about? One of the signs has changed and it no longer has the poem about the turtle of amazing girth, blah, 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 blah. Now it has this rhyme that says, oh, Santa. Oh, Susanna Mio, divided girl of mine, done parked her rig at the Dixie pig in the year of 99. Um, and so, you know, Roland looks at, or Eddie looks at Susanna and is like, what, what the hell does that mean? Do you have any idea? And she's like, no. And she looks very frightened and her eyes are all big. And Roland wonders to himself, like, which of the two women is frightened? Because he can't really tell which is reacting to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also notes that the word Mio is very similar to Mia. So he suspects that that's who it is. So it's interesting that we get this here, that she's wearing the shirt and that w- I think it kind of confirms that there is some sort of connection there because she's the one that's reacting to the Dixie pig again. Um, we'll, we'll come to find out why that might be in the future, but I do think it's some things are kind of like groundwork is being laid. I think is what's happening. Oh, yeah. 
Um, okay, so let's go back a little bit because um, I did want to talk about a couple other things in this section, which is, first of all, um, how her, she's not just hungry, but her hunger has changed. It's desperate, and she needs to eat something specific because, you know, whatever it whatever it is is going to help the child not just come, but become. Um, and I think that that increases the stake. It's really good writing in that it really increases the stakes and it gives us, it reminds us of the timeline and something that this book is very focused on is time and the fleeting nature of time and the, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Unreliable nature of time. All of those things are major themes in this book and motifs in this book. Um, and so King is constantly reminding of uh, us of this ticking clock. Um, the various ticking clocks that we're facing. Um, and in this case, it's sort of the biological clock of, of her, of this this baby coming and knowing we've moved into like maybe whatever the third trimester is of <laughs> this particular very upsetting gestation. Um, also, we see some changes happening in the room itself. Like you said, everything is empty. Everything is rotted. And, and I'm kind of trying to figure out how much of this is about a change of location and how much of it is about like. Well, it's interesting you say change of location because mm -hmm. if you think about her first visits that we were revealed to us, it was her and Roland basically going toe dash. Yeah. To a separate, like almost secondary world for her to hunt in hmm. and See, I, in this I, case it doesn't feel like she toe dashed at all it's just purely yeah. dream no i really feel like a lot of this is is like mia's fantasy like this is her sort of overlay of the world um but i i don't i don't totally know and i don't know what i don't know maybe we'll get an answer but what's interesting to me is she because she incorporates so many things into this world um that i'm wondering like is that is the sort of wall between this identity and her other identities either like becoming thin or less reliable because there's things like the plates changing to have the arises on it yeah. um and i and i wonder how much of that is about like it being in a different location and how much it has to do with her state of mind well for a second i was like oh no she's she in the house <laughs> Oh, oh, I know. Oh, yes. And that's the thing is the way that this is written, we know kind of how this functions in the real world that like she has this vision of she's like feasting in a hall, but we know that she's going and just like killing things in seemingly indiscriminately. So there is this because we're only seeing Mia's perspective being like, well, what is she really doing? What is she actually eating? What is the rat? What is the pig? Or, you know, you, you don't know, but you know that some there is some correlation to what she's doing in the real world. But it could be a baby. It could be a cat. It could be it could be a baby pig. You know, we don't we don't know yet. And nobody even JQ has an actual look at the, of what's happening tells us. So we're. Unfortunately, this chapter leaves us sort of on a little bit of a cliffhanger around that. Um, <laughs> but so you pointed out the statue. I wanted to point out the, the um, snake. Don't forget the snake. the snake. And this is where I'm talking about, like, I wonder how much of this is just a fantasy world that Mia has constructed and that some of the knowledge or the anxieties that she's feeling about the gunslinger stuff is seeping through because she sees this giant painting of the gunslinger's like uh i guess arthur Eld and his his quartet and then he has wrapped around his neck neck this uh snake called seda and it was i looked it up and seda is this giant mutated snake which was apparently plagued the southern baronies and she could spit venom from her mouth um and like 
Arthur L. during his reign had to defeat her. And what's interesting is she's not just like a venomous snake. She was a mother okay. who had, um, like, after he killed her, he also had to hunt down all of her babies. Oh, really? And so, yes. So, like, it's this mytho- mythological creature that was a mother, that was a beast that needed to be slayed along with her children. So, like, if she's having all this maternal anxiety and all this anxiety about the gunslingers and, like, the danger towards her chap, whether it's conscious or subconscious, I think it's a very interesting choice of, of um, mythology for her to see in this, this um, declining world moving on style version of the feast the feast hall okay Uh, good i thought it was like a um what was the lady that imprisoned merlin originally it was a you know what i'm talking about yeah it starts with an m right yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um anyway it doesn't matter Uh, i for some reason i thought maybe it might have been a reference to that that's why i was actually like oh yeah you did the research thanks rachel i wanted to know that (laughs) Good, good. Um, let's see. Dixie Pig we talked about. Yeah, I think that's pretty much everything I wanted to talk about from this section. Um, just, just I think, some really good creepy writing in the in, in this whole setup. And uh, just the, the way that it all kind of works adds to the tension really effectively. Yeah, and with this particular chapter, we basically get like a, a two-way mirror. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, with one person seeing their reflection, but the other person seeing through yeah. the mirror to the yeah. opposite person without yeah. their reflection, uh-huh. and it's a, it's it's interesting to jump back and forth between those perspectives. Uh, sometimes, honestly, and you, if you guys have been listening to the podcast for a long time, you uh, you may have uh, heard me like get somewhat annoyed when Stephen King just bounces all over the freaking place, and I'm trying to like <laughs> keep a constant thread, or like a chapter name is like 25 sentences <laughs> strung together <laughs> in some craziness. Um, but in this case, I really like how this works out because. First, we get Mia's perspective. Now we cut to Eddie, who we know is in the barns sleeping with Susanna. And when the transition happens, um, Mia basically gets up and starts like wandering around what I kind of imagine is like a barnyard area, you know, in front of the barn and around Mm -hmm. the air or around the like pavilion, I suppose would probably be the right term. Um, and she's like wheeling herself back and forth, and Eddie's like kind of wakes up, notices that Susanna's gone, and then sees that, oh crap, Mia's hunting. And this is kind of, and maybe I'm wrong if if I'm remembering incorrectly, correct me, Rachel, but I, I think this is kind of the first time where like Eddie completely embraces Mia as a full existence and like knows what's going on 100% and is seeing it in action as I opposed to. So. So this is like, this is a a dark thing for him because Mm -hmm. before he's been able to sort of be like, nah, not my girl. Mm -hmm. But this one is like, nope, definitely my girl. Oh shit, this isn't good, you know? Mm -hmm. And as he's watching her bounce around back and forth, like he's sort of, um, I don't know if reminisce is the right term, but he... He sort of remembers back to the clearing with Shardik the bear and the little robots that were running around and how um, and th- this is also important because the, basically Eddie shoots a few of the creatures, but there's one particular one that Roland ended up ended up killing. And I think if I remember right, wasn't it um, like a flying snake? Uh, it was like a flying bat type of thing. There's oh, a, okay. I'm, but I do want to talk about the types of robots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I thought there was a snake in that group of robots. There is a snake, and there is a rat. 
Okay, yeah. And I I felt like the symbolism for each of the robots was kind of in par with things we could connect back to this particular chapter in a way that was <laughs> was ominous. Oh yeah, you know, this is there's this is a very direct correlation. So we get the snake and we get the the rat. Both are two animals that are specifically described in this chapter. Okay. Um but also this is the same place where Eddie, for the very first time, put his ear to that power thing and and started talking about the rooms of ruin and halls of the dead, which is where Mia is right now. Oh, damn. So I wonder how much of this is that he was picking up on something like like psychically or some sort of thing in the wheel of caught, whatever the case may be. And, or how much of it is Susanna herself having heard this story, incorporating it into her fantasy. Oh yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know, but it definitely caught my attention. I mean, that's actually kind of cool. Like imagine when she dreams, she's actually wandering around inside of the box in Charlie's yeah. clearing. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is, she, this is re specifically referred to as the halls of the dead. Wow. In textually. And now he's tying it back to that incident. And we have the same sort of animals being represented in both of those stories. Yeah. And so uh, the history echoes. Mm -hmm. The echo is also referenced in the way she's moving. He almost describes her uh, going back and forth in the barnyard as the same absent minded movements of these uh, broken robots yep moving back and forth and that also like kind of points to maybe the chap is controlling uh, mia I, I would think or i guess i'm not sure a hundred percent but my speculation is that like the hunger expressed when we were getting mia's perspective is the chap sort of in the driver's seat pushing mm -hmm. her around to do the thing. And like that represents out in the real world of her just like mechanically moving back and forth as this yeah. thing sort of like puts a veil over her. Mm. I mean, it also just really speaks to this, this desperation. I mean, those things were kind of seen as evidence of the corruption that led to the break, like either led to, or is a result of whatever caused the world to move on. Oh, so yeah. to sort of see those kind of same characteristics in his partner as she's aimlessly going back and forth, like desperately robotically looking for something, I think is incredibly distressing. <laughs> yeah. And then we also get like a, a personal moment too, where, um, you know, Eddie takes into consideration the fact that the only reason that Susanna has ended up in this situation is because to rescue Jake, she was in the, you know, the ring with the with the sex demon. Right. <laughs> and like the sex demon basically impregnated her. So like it was like to do this thing to save someone, she put herself at risk and is now, you know, a split personality and mm -hmm. and in danger in somewhat a similar way as the person that she rescued. And, and that that's, that's like, um, it's like, uh, the old yin yang thing going on here where it's like, well, you know, uh, or what was it? What's the, the most, the popular thing, uh, everybody was talking about because of some television show, like the trolley problem. Yes, 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 yes. <coughs> Where like indirectly you're causing more damage or or what have you, um, mm -hmm. and and so it, that's really weird. And then when she in her dream is going after um, 
the roast, uh, Eddie in the real world hears like screaming and has like a panic for a moment. Like, yeah. oh shit, she couldn't be in the house because she she would never, you know, slice the throat of a child. <laughs> this is a very specific she? <laughs> d- direction here. Uh, or would she? Yeah, exactly. And and like Eddie's a little freaked out. And we find out that the scream is basically her grabbing and eating alive a baby pig um, from the like pig nursery. And then what we would have normally gotten from our heroes is like, oh, shit, I need to react and do something. But instead, Eddie's response is like, yeah, well, I hope I clean the blood up off of her before everybody sees it. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, ho- hopefully we can, you know, talk away the missing uh, little piglet as, you know, a fox or a wolf we saw uh, prowling around the property the night before. And like mm-hmm. a wolf prowling around the property, you know, that's Mia. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I do think it's very telling that he doesn't get up, that he stays where he is and that he's not a hundred percent sure that she wouldn't eat a child. I mean, it's good for us as readers. Cause it like heightens attention. Like, Oh my God, is she eating a baby? I mean, it's not like it would be above Stephen King to have her eat a baby. Um, and so, but yeah, I think the, those are good character moments too, especially when she comes back and he just wipes the blood off her face. Um, yeah. Well, and the whole thing speaks to like a darker thing that's going on with the group in general. We've talked before about mm-hmm. like them slowly like drifting apart during this this time in town. And uh, like physically where like Jake and Eddie and Susanna are all getting sent to different places. But mm-hmm. also like, from a communications breakdown standpoint where like Roland was holding some stuff back and, and Eddie didn't quite know and they didn't tell Jake. And in this moment, like Eddie (coughs) is covering it up, which is just another thing that goes into the like lack of trust and communication in the group as a whole. Mm -hmm. And for like a guy who's supposed to be, I mean, somewhat of a hero or has grown into a hero ship of some kind mm-hmm. here to be like, well, I hope he didn't. She didn't eat a kid. And like, I mm-hmm. hope she covered her tracks. OK, like th- those are not hero thoughts. Those are, you know, borderline bad guy thoughts. Right. Well, I mean, I think it speaks to in the last chapter when he's talking about like how he loves her more than she loves him. And all he do- he knows that this is not going to be forever, but he needs to make the best of it as he yep. can. Like he's still protecting that sort of fragile like he sees our relationship as fragile not because she doesn't care about him but just because the way the fate is the way that Ka is untrustworthy and probably doesn't have a good outcome planned for them and and you see it's that same thinking like he's trying desperately to hold on to this and make it as good as long as he can and some of that involves not going and seeing what she's doing and not really having to face the full reality of what Mia really is doing and what it looks like and also like being willing to cover up whatever just occurred because he doesn't want to lose that, that, that relationship as long as he possibly can. You could say their love is like a rose in an empty field with construction. Oh God, here we go. Here we go. (laughs) 
<laughs> but honestly, you're not wrong. <laughs> so uh, anything else you want to cover, Rachel, before we no, move on to the next section? I think we can go to the next one. I think we got it all. <laughs> and I stand by my claim that roses are tacky. So, uh, <laughs> all right. I'll, well, remember not to bring those next week. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so uh, from... We cut from this scene here at the barn to uh, Jake now, and Jake awakens from this nightmare, and we kind of got the hint that he was in um, the dream, but here we get kind of like an expansion of that. So when he wakes up from the nightmare, he's sort of disoriented for a moment and then realizes that like he's out in a tent with this kid that's older than him um by years but not by experience and the horrible dream he realizes that like in that dirty gross castle kitchen um that uh, she killed a rat and like he touched her mind and saw her laughing about the rat shish kebab yeah (laughs) which is like not the susanna that yeah that he recognizes and the no, no gray area here. <laughs> There's no like wiggle room to be like, maybe I'm misunderstanding this. No, 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 no. And he has this like sort of internal uh, moment where he's like, I need to tell Eddie and Roland. And then like as he's working through the facts, he's like, well, wait a minute. Those guys already know. <laughs> yeah. And like that leads into the realization that like their group as a whole is faltering Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jake, um, he he's fearful, you know, that like if he brings this up and this is interesting because y- you can kind of see like the group dynamics dissipating because yeah. in the past, um, you know, we got to the point where Eddie and Jake would tell Roland anything. Yeah. And like here, like Jake's actually like goes through the scenario of trying to tell Roland like mm-hmm. what he thinks and what they should do. And he's like afraid of it leading to almost a a conflict like the one between Roland and court when he's doing his test of manhood and like Jake looks at himself and says, you know, I'm, I'm not there. I'm, I'm not ready for manhood. What if this test comes to me and I fail and Oi and I are sent off to the, Mm -hmm. you know, to the wolves to fight, fight by ourselves. And, yeah. And that's a pretty extreme leap in logic for Jake to move from, you know, telling Roland to becoming a test of manhood. And and so you see like what kind of distress this sort of separation and yeah. drifting has put on this younger kid who It before... also shows his sophisticated thinking. Exactly. Right? Like like he knows that if he crosses this line and tells Susanna without permission, mm-hmm. that it's gonna lead to a further breakdown in the quartet and it's this whole section is such a a portrait of like what like uh, how heartbreaking the jake scenario is right because like on he before this dream woke him up he was having like the most wonderful kid experience camping with his farty friend talking (laughs) about going fishing like really being a child him his best friend and his dog and then the weight of what being a gunslinger and this quest it really means is thrust upon him in this moment and you watch him having to process 
all the things that this means. And like I said, the level of sort of sophisticated thinking of like all the outcomes and playing out the scenarios really shows you in the ways that he's still a child. He's so like adultified by this experience as well. Well, and that's a really good uh, description. Adult adultified. There's a moment in his thinking where he's like, you know, um, if adults know what's right and wrong, then like, why did my mother sleep with her, you know, her body trainer mm-hmm. and my father, you know, do all this cocaine and destroy himself. And it's like, yeah, you know, um, that's actually a f- fair assessment. And here, you know, as the young person, he fears that he's the only one with the correct view of the situation and what they should do. Mm-hmm. And he mentions that as a group, as as a quartet, they may stand a chance at fighting the wolves. But if they break apart, then there's no chance at all. Yeah. And the callous sort of um, s- sort of uh, uh, Motivation. sad moment is when he's yeah. like, you know, maybe they just haven't told Susanna because mm-hmm. um, they would lose one more body to fight the wolves. He's not wrong. And that's like... Yeah, you know, you know, that's uh, that's on on the point, and and like that to him is like a selfish, dirty thing that's going on. Um, yeah. But then also he knows that as the structure of the content still constrains him, that it's not his responsibility or even his right to go against whatever Roland thinks is the best plan of action. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's interesting because I think King really lays out the ways that being a child in this situation actually is a strength that ad- being in in this situation adulthood is clouding these people's perspectives and he's the only one in the group who still has a unique perspective that he can see the truth of what's happening he's removed enough that he can see the truth of what's happening because his perspective as smart and as sophisticated as is also kind of uncomplicated and naive in the way that just comes with life experience. It's not anything to do with his intelligence or his uh, maturity, but it's, it's just from not having a ton of life experience. He sees with a particular kind of clarity that other people in this group seem to be lacking in this moment. And well, like, think... this might be the saving grace because the, they're facing not just the wolves of the Kala, mm-hmm. but the wolves of New York. And if they can't get their shit together, they don't stand a chance. Yeah. And there's, so there's like some interesting Stephen King, logical fallacy stuff going on here. where like the kid sees it as a yes or a no, or a binary solution, mm-hmm. but the adult sees it as many shades of gray working towards one spectrum or the other. And in this case, like the good bad scenario is probably the best approach, but yeah, but it yeah. doesn't take into account like an in game strategy. It just is like, no, I need to do the right thing. I should do right. the right thing. I mean, I think though, in this situation, like you said, maybe it's not the the sort of black and white, the nuance, lack of nuance is not always a good thing. But in this case, I think it might be the only thing that's going to snap Roland out of whatever's going on right now because he's what we're seeing is he's making the same mistakes the same pattern that played out when he was in um, magus where he was like playing shit close to the vest he's breaking the quartet by keeping secrets um and so hopefully maybe jake and his his like pure of heart coming to him privately will be able to shake him out of whatever decisions he's making because he's just as smart as roland is he is fallible you know people they repeat patterns and it's frustrating because we're watching him do it. Um, 
But yeah, it, I think that Jake has finally contextually said the thing that we have been talking about for the last several episodes about how like the content is falling apart. They've lost their calf. Like all of those things that we've been commenting on, Jake is now like realizing. And and because he's realizing it, like now maybe they'll actually be able to do something about it. Like he's going to have to deal with the fact that this is happening. Jake can just start dream walking and like, <laughs> right? He right. needs to just incept some shit. I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is your idea. This is your idea. Well, you're so wise, Roland. I'm so glad you decided <laughs> to do the thing that I think you should do. <laughs> so we have all these dark thoughts and this like juxtaposition of like this kid moment and of uh, this nightmarish like future and mm-hmm. murderous rat kebabs <laughs> and, and not then, murderous rat kebabs <laughs> yeah, yeah the rats, exactly um and, and then we get cute oi popping in around the corner and like oh, opens the tent door and is like oi 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 and, and wants uh you know um jake to c- come out of the tent and mm-hmm. and then we get the next bad reveal like Ugh. jake wanders out with oi follows him um and sees on like a rocky outcropping um uh benny's father out there uh and he's like well maybe you know came to check on us uh you know um if anything went sideways andy was out there to watch over us and we see that uh andy and benny's father are speaking and it's like well wait a minute that's a little strange you know why yeah. are they out in the middle of the night talking to each other, mm. um, having this conversation? Uh, and, and you know, like, basically, this is our reveal from Grandpa's tale. Yeah. About there being some shady stuff going on. And uh-huh. we've already thrown a ton of um, suspicion Andy's way. And then to find out, like, no one likes talking to Andy. Right. You know, Andy's an annoying robot who tells fortunes. And for his father to decide, like, oh, I need to go out here and chat up this robot at, you know, middle of the night when everyone's asleep is is very suspicious. And, 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 you know, like, um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Rachel, but didn't uh, 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 their family lose, like, a kid? Yes. So Benny had a twin, uh, but who died of a fever. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So I don't know if that was supposed to be the obvious thing that we didn't get is that like he had a twin and the twin wasn't taken. Um, I mean, I think it's the it's Benny the Junior's twin who didn't get taken. So even though he seems like a singleton, he would be the kid that got taken because he's the only one left because he's not actually a singleton. Oh, he's okay. a twin. So you could understand the motivation for okay. the elder because he has one kid, even though he initially had the who who is up for grabs by the by the wolves. Yeah, yeah, and the. the, the so um, I'm, I'm glad you piece that together because I was I was like, well, wait, wait, can does the rule work that like if your twin dies of natural causes, you're still a twin? Um, I don't think so. Uh, okay, all right. Uh, well, if that's the case, then yes, that definitely makes sense. So basically, we're left on this cliffhanger of like Jake realizing that there's a spy in their midst and like not sure what he can do or how he can do to to tell Roland 
what's up and explain his point of view and fearful that that could lead to this like moment where he has to basically um, prove himself as a gunslinger slash adult or be cast out of the the quartet. It, it mm-hmm. it's real weird. Um, real real rough point for all three of our characters. Well, I mean, here. I think it's it's concerning that like his first instinct when he woke up from the dream before he had kind of come to the realization that. Roland already knew was that he was going to tell him and then he kind of walked it back and was like okay I have to tell him alone so that I don't go against my den and then trigger this test of manhood but then now at the end of this chapter unfortunately Jake has a secret of his own and he is conflicted as to whether or not he's going to tell Roland so my hopes for the that he is going to say something and that they're going to pull this because this is the big cliffhanger, right? Like, can they pull the quartet back together in time? Um, and it doesn't. It's you know, it's not a good sign if if he goes from realizing that they have to to immediately being like, wait, but let me hold this close to the vest. Yeah, wow. and uh, even when like Jake is rolling around in his doubts that maybe it's nothing, <laughs> what does yeah. Betty's father do? He like wades across the creek towards you know. Yes, what the hell is he and doing? Like, wait, 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 what's he doing this late in the evening? Ooh, and um, yeah, and then the the fact that he's like, well, you know, I don't want to get Benny's father in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> also, like a kid's a kid's point of view, like. Oh, you know, I caught my friend shoplifting, but I don't want to get him in trouble. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. It's a it's a pretty heavy burden to put on a kid to decide whether or not he's going like to to tell Roland or tell them that like, you know, not just that he was being weird at night, but that he potentially is a traitor is Mm -hmm. that's a pretty heavy burden. All right. Well, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. You have four stars. Did we miss anything, Rachel? I think we actually managed to touch on all of it, which uh, means that's pretty much it for the this particular chapter, except for what did you think of it? Uh, you know, uh, sometimes I'm a little poo-poo-y on, <laughs> on yeah. these, like, um, long reveals. But this one really did a good job of just yeah. checking all the boxes going through and, like, giving you a bunch of um, breadcrumbs to continue to follow and started to tie some knots on some stuff that we've been, like, basically – waiting pins and needles to find out about uh for Mm -hmm. the last few chapters so you know these this one and you know the grandpa's tale have been like bombshells in that regard of just like explaining all the things Mm -hmm. we wanted to know about what's going on with the wolves and the town and everything else and you know that leads to a chapter name for the next round that is like Ooh. Ooh. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, you know, like, and sometimes Stephen King is cagey about the names, but sometimes he's just like, blurp, here's, it, here's your answer. <laughs> I, I feel like we kind of are getting that. So what about you, Rachel? What do you think? Yeah, I really like this chapter as well. I feel like there was a little bit of lull when we were, like, going all through Callahan's backstory. I mean, it was interesting, and there was some good world building in there, but, like, it did feel like the pace of this story stalled a little bit, mm-hmm. and I feel like the, the we're revving back up i can feel things moving we're getting a reminder of the stakes we're getting you know additional little side things that are going on i i I feel like the story is coming together and i always love when you go into like creepy gruesome stuff i'm always going to be delighted so yeah i had a very good time with this chapter and it has me getting very excited for the things that are yet to come so thumbs up from me 
All right. For those of you at home who are reading along, next episode, we're going to be covering part two, Telling Tales, chapter eight, took store, semicolon, the unfound door. So I like how one of them is very literal and one is very mysterious. Yep, exactly. <laughs> you get everything you want. Um, okay, Stephen King Universe Connections. I didn't I didn't spot any, but if, as always, if you did, please be sure to reach out and let me know. Uh, the Stephen King news is obviously the Mike Flanagan stuff, which we're going to stick around. If you're sticking around for the extended episode, we're going to talk a little more, bit more about that. Although you should have our last episode. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to the emergency episode about when this news dropped. Um, Thanks, and- Justin. Yes, Justin came through in the clutch because I was like, I have to talk about this. And you were like literally on a plane <laughs> <laughs> sorry no it's of course of course i was so excited you were getting to go to japan which is like one of my dream vacations um and so that just leaves our question for the next episode we haven't done one for a little while but now that this new news has broke i want to know from you guys and i will post this on the facebook group as well but if you're not on facebook um you can email us at cast of at zombiegirls.com and answer that way i want to know what absolutely in your opinion absolutely needs to be in this adaptation for it to be considered a success like obviously there's a huge long list but like what are the top one to three things that must be done correctly in order for you to see it in this. Or if you if that's too broad, just give me your wish list of three things you cannot wait to see that you really, really want to see show up in this adaptation. Okay, so think about that, Deej. You got to think now he's starting with the gunslinger. So you got to think just gunslinger. What are the three things from that book that you absolutely need to see in this adaptation or really, really want to see in this adaptation? I don't answer now, do I? Right? No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. You got two weeks to think about it, my friend. I mean, that one's. <laughs> and um, I look forward that, to you thinking about it 15 minutes before the next episode. <laughs> that one's actually pretty easy. So I don't feel like I actually need to. Okay, good. Because I mean, come on. There's. Is like... it the gun in the vagina? It's the gun in the vagina. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. You've uh, you've narrowed down my fourteen-year-old uh, uh, humor. <laughs> All right. So as I said, next episode took store and the unfound door. If you want to reach out to us, you always can at castofcawzombiegirls.com. And that's G-R-R-L-Z.com. You can come chat with us over on the Cast of Cough Facebook group. And if you're enjoying the show, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're getting your pods, rate, review, all that good stuff. Oh, and of course, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ZGPodcasts, plural, um, to see all of the news when it comes out. You'll also get to see like little video clips, whatever. Um, and if you want to support us like i said leave us a review or you can support us by joining our patreon at patreon.com forward slash zombie girls um you'll get bonus episodes extended episodes um for sometimes you'll get video episodes for instance our last episode the mike flanagan one if you wanted to watch us instead of listen to us that video is available for patrons head over there join check it out you can watch us freak out in real time (laughs) uh okay so that is it for us unless they want more of you in their life which like i don't blame them more dj is more <laughs> where can they find you on the internet um if you swing over to uh um dude i don't even know what we call it anymore outpost unknown outpost unknown i wish we we stuck with the name for so many years and then you change it and i'll never remember. i know I know. Um, occasionally I make appearances on a few of the casts there. 
Um, basically, uh, Rachel is my uh, main podcast here at the Casica. So mostly you can find me here. Um, I, I might. I've, I've waffled with the idea of starting a TikTok so that some of the things that I'm mm. constantly building, you guys can mm. see IRL. Um, but I'm trying to figure out a way to do that that isolates the Chinese yeah. government from yeah. That's from myself and uh, my yeah. things and my brain. Yeah. And yeah. and so we'll we'll see what I figure out. Um yeah. <laughs> what about you, Rachel? Oh uh, well you can find me obviously here on Castle Call. You can find me on all across the Zombie Girls Network, uh Zombie Girls OG a podcast, More Deadly, uh Stream Queens, the Untitled Nick Cage, which we took a little break, but we're coming back in January. Uh we also have our upcoming holiday crossover episode coming up, which you're definitely not gonna want to miss. We're gonna be hanging out with the guys from Trick or Treat Radio. We're gonna have a ton of fun. Um, so stay tuned for information about that. You'll see it on our Instagram and Twitter. Uh it will be on Saturday the 17th. So block that date out because you're gonna want to watch us. Our it's gonna be a live show with trick-or-treat radio and it's going to be a ton of fun there'll be trivia games goofiness it's going to be great you're going to love it all right so that is it for us unless you are sticking around for the extended episode uh dj take us out uh, this episode is brought to you by the dixie pig the best ribs in the five boroughs area <laughs> enjoy some tasty dripping ribs from the dixie pigs <laughs> good night <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And to my co-host, DJ, for making me laugh and for indulging all of my tinfoil hat conspiracies. Production on this episode was done by yours truly. Our theme song for the show was created by DJ. Okay, cool. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the extended episode. I apologize if I'm out of breath because I just had to run to pee really, really fast. But I am back. So let's get into this DJ. First of all, you, like I said, you were literally on a plane um, coming back from Japan when all this Mike Flanagan stuff was blowing up. So I haven't even talked to you about this yet. I want to get your take on the news. What do you think about him doing it? What are your thoughts? So Mike Flanagan, um, I'm not a uh, person uh, who knows names of people, but I am under the impression that he has already helmed uh, multiple successful, very good shows. Including Stephen King adaptations. Yep, exactly. So Mm -hmm. that's a very good sign um sort of like when rob reynolds took over uh going after um deadpool like Mm. if you have someone who loves the materials you're much more likely to get a true to form uh thing than you would normally Mm -hmm. and i believe if i read the rumors correctly um there is talk that this might be locked in as like a five season or six season Five seasons, two standalone films. Yep, exactly. It's not locked in. It's the plan, though. Okay, and that's... So if if anything were to happen with the Dark Tower series, the best thing I could... And I think I've mentioned this multiple times, is like it would much rather see it as a television series that continues Mm -hmm. on because there's so much to tell. And... You know, if you want to get fresh with it, like, cool, go explore, like, a thread that you pull from, like, one of the comic books or, like, one of the side characters or, like, maybe we have, like, a couple of, you know, a Monster of the Month Manny episodes where, like, they're walking from world to world and you get to, like, expand something that was otherwise, like, 
inherently small, but like five seasons, that's that's great. And then where the movies fall, I'm less sure I would understand that specifically, uh, but I like that as well. Um, it sort of feels like you remember uh, during the 90s and early 2000s when like every long running television series would have a movie drop in the yeah. middle for some reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, we're, you're doing X-Files, let's just drop an X-Files movie because that property is hot right now. Yep, yep, yep. And yep. so I'm less confident that the movie thing will be a great, great thing, but I am definitely I mean... excited about the, the television series aspect of it. And having someone that has done Stephen King stuff before and other successful works um, it means that maybe we won't end up with like a flop of a right. interpretation, right? And, and we won't have to worry about trying to squeeze a whole bunch of stuff into a tiny package like we did with the last movie. Yeah, yeah. I think what's interesting of and of note is that a he got the rights directly from Stephen King himself. Oh, really? Okay, that's yeah. Cool. So basically, he has wanted to do this forever. And he took his like his outline his like, and his pilot episode, like he's already written the pilot. And he took the pilot episode and his outline for the whole thing to Stephen King directly presented to him and Stephen King gave him the rights. So that I think is really interesting. The other thing is, is he doesn't have he hasn't figured out where like, I, I assume people are bidding on it. I don't know. But they're they haven't said exactly where it's going to be yet my hope is that it's you know going to be treated like prestige tv um but i don't know i would be nervous of either a netflix or an amazon landing simply because they have notoriously canned things Mm -hmm. well um, i mean it's been with hbo it's been with and it's been with amazon both of those have already had points where they were going to adapt this true the amazon one sort of fell apart from covid though right the Amazon one, I think, primarily fell apart because they also had spent a literal billion dollars getting the rights for the uh, Lord of the Rings mm. and all of that. And I think they were like they had to pick a fantasy series and they're like, sorry, uh, prequel to a movie that flopped. You got to go. So then was it HBO that had the like screenshots of the pre-shoots mm. for so this? or was That th- was the Amazon. OK, I thought they that was made Amazon. a pilot. They made a pilot. So HBO like a, I don't know, like. 15 years ago was going to make it um with oh god what is that his name one second i can tell you for Ron some Howard. reason i it's thought it was associated with the guy that did um carnival mm, i might I be wrong know. don't don't worry yeah. about that that's a that's... so the the one that was with amazon was going to be with uh i can't think of his name but he was the walking dead guy okay um, let's see here uh wizard and glass walking dead um not coming quickly sorry um oh glenn uh glenn mazara mazara glenn mazara was originally was involved with that pilot that unfortunately like we've seen screen caps from and it looked awesome yeah yeah but but got killed but prior like way back in the day hbo was going to do one ron howard was originally going to direct it and then he was going to produce it they had cast at one point russell crowe was going to be rolling and then it was going to be um uh um oh god i don't know when you say ron howard i feel like he's like i want to make a light-hearted um you know it's discovery right of you yeah, <laughs> uh, dark towers where jake finds himself and alleviates his problems with his parents and in the end everybody hugs You're like come on ron 